Well, hello, it's Gary, listening to Thinking Out Loud, July 18th, 2020. Today, the topic we talk about is the American dream. Now, one of my favorite authors of all time is Hunter S. Thompson, and uh, he kind of spent a career trying to find what the American dream is and try to write about and it's sort of dissolving and warping of the American dream that was happening while he was in his heyday. That was way back in the 70s, like before I was even born. There was already writers and journalists that were kind of seeing that it was kind of slipping away. Um, it seems like this era we're in now, you know, it's... It it's definitely seems to be slipping away right in front of our eyes, you know. Um, the American dream of sort of the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the right to sort of pursue your dreams, the right to live your life, it's, it's not really what's going on in this country, and that has nothing to do with the sort of mandate that people wear a mask. That's not a squelching of the American dream. Squelching of the American dream is sort of the rise in popularity of American fascism, uh, known as Trumpism. Uh, a sort of overt, anti-democratic type institution. And a really sort of narrowing of the parameters of what it means to be an American, a sort of excluding of mass portions of people of them within this country and sort of overtly uh, excluding them from the American dream, willingly and knowingly. Uh, and that's what the group that's in power is now doing. Now, when I was a kid, the um, American dream was like, you know, you, you go to school, you work hard, you get good grades, you go off to college. Um, you got good grades all through high school and stuff, and you can get a scholarship or something. Or if you're a good athlete, you can get a scholarship and go to college for free. And then well, once you graduate, you get that degree, you get a great job. And a few years after that, you can buy a home. You know, you get married, have a couple kids and all that thing. Um, for me personally, I didn't... I sort of went after all those things, and um, yeah, this the the kind of the stress and the grind of just uh, trying to keep up with the you know what the expectations that the American dream puts on you became a bit overwhelming. I had to kind of step off the get out of the hamster wheel for a bit back in early. 2013, um, you, know, you get so kind of caught up in the grind of things that like people slip away, you know, you lose connections with people and find out a few months, you know, months go by or something, then you hear kind of in passing that, you know, some old friend from years ago had passed away and passed away months ago, you know, it's like, it didn't even 
just got so caught up in things, you know. And it's like, what are we, what are we chasing after here? You know, why are we working so hard? What are we working so hard for? What what is the goal? You know, what are we working towards? Um, and is it really just work a whole bunch so that you can buy stuff? A lot of it that you don't need, um, but it, that stuff is going to make you happy somehow. You know, is that what the American dream is? Because I, I honestly don't really know anymore. Um, the modern American dream in 2020, it certainly isn't uh, a land of complete free expression, a uh, land of individual freedom, uh, a land of um, freedom of... For, of freedom of religious expression, freedom of religion, um, freedom of speech. We, we don't really have those things right now, currently in this country. Um, if, if you're any sort of other, and other is really like most of the population. Most of the country is basically considered other, or considered an enemy or, of some form or fashion. Um, my, for example, myself would be considered an enemy of the president of the United States because I speak out against him. I don't support him in any way. And uh, my political views lean left. Therefore, Donald Trump views me as not a, not a good American and even un-American. But what is America if 70% of the populace is considered un-American by this sort of devout 30%. And, and that 30% has sort of defined in their eyes what America is. They, they sort of have a certain definition of what the republic is. And any sort of wavering at or nuance in that is sort of a blasphemy in some way. And, and anyone that... Um, uh, disrupts their particular interpretation of America um, needs to be jailed or punished in, in some way. And it's a very warped and scary view because um, those people that kind of have the very narrow view of what the American dream is, you know, for, for some Americans, the American dream is the ability to live in a com community where every house looks kind of the same, where every all of your neighbors kind of look just like you, same skin color and such. And you don't really have to interact with anyone different or, or whatever, you know. It's all kind of very tightly controlled and regimented. Um, and that's, for some Americans, that's like their ideal thing. They, they really work hard to get to that place where they can live in kind of like a gated community where everyone there is, is white or whatever, you know, and they all kind of look the same and they all kind of do similar things and their yards all look kind of the same and the houses all look kind of the same. And that's what they want, kind of a uniformity. Um, to all kind of step and walk in the exact same direction at the exact same time kind of thing. Um and so those types of people are going to be more susceptible to fascism because that's kind of what fascism is. It's sort of like, this is the way in any objection to it, you will be punished, you know. So 
for a lot of people, Donald Trump is the epitome of the American dream for him, for them. Um, which is ironic because, you know, for many other Americans, probably most Americans, Donald Trump is sort of the epitome of the nightmare, of the American nightmare. It's, it's the epitome of the American dream gone wrong. You know, this is the land of prosperity and such, but it's also a land where if you're willing to cut corners, uh, cheat, lie, steal, um, defraud, or fraud, you know, you can also do well. And we, we, there's been a long, long history of scoundrels and thieves and criminals throughout the United States' history. And then sort of, you know, sideshow acts and, and uh, carnival barker type people and, and confidence men. Long, long history of these these types of people as well. As much as we have a history of sort of these noble people or in some cases maybe just more normal for their noble for their time and you know as time goes on they they don't quite seem quite as righteous but at the time they're considered pretty righteous and principled you know we've had a lot of those kind of people but we've also had all kinds of, of other people too people that were sort of champions of, of a very different way a way of sort of villainy and um and sort of taking advantage of divisiveness, uh, hatred, greed, sort of openly and uh, very publicly pursuing those types of things. And Donald Trump and his many, many in his family were, were very much that sort of second group, the sort of scoundrels and thieves and villains that have permeated our history in this country. They've constantly been a part of it, those types of characters. You know, the Donald Trump type guy, that's another ironic thing is they're a dime a dozen, you know, a, a wealthy white douchebag that was born wealthy and then just kind of fucks around with his money. Now, Donald Trump took it to another level. You know, he became famous for being that, but then was able to transition the fame, fame into brand awareness and his brand was simply his fame he was famous for being a scoundrel and being a villain and being racist and sexist and stupid and just kind of being an arrogant wealthy white prick who inherited a bunch of money and then just fucked around with it that's what he was famous for you know but he got so much fame and he was famous for so long that he was eventually you know new generations of people come on and you know, they see this guy on TV, and maybe there's some people that only know him as you know the host of a of a game show, and maybe they genuinely think um, that he's actually known as being successful. It's sort of the manipulating of information. <clears throat> that's something that's been going on for a while in this country. The sort of presenting of things as a certain way. And then you're kind of looking out your window or something or kind of going and visiting a city and walking around and like you very much see something very different than what's proclaimed, you know. And um, I think a lot of the people that defend America just on an absolute and, and, and sort of believe that any criticism of it, any desire for America to be better is somehow un-American. It's it's very confusing, you know. United States of America has evolved. 
in the beginning, you know, as our founders of this country, as, uh, you know, principled and righteous as uh, people have placed them throughout history, they were also, by our, our time standards, you know, a little archaic. Um, the only people in America back when our country started that had full citizenship, absolute full citizenship, all rights and privileges of a citizen, were white land-owning men, and, and that, that was it. Black people were only considered three-fifths of a person and weren't considered really citizens in any way. They're, that three-fifths was just to count towards electoral votes, basically for the slave states. So, but they had no right to vote. You know, those kind of things came much later. So first there was, you know, overt systematic oppression when this country started. Legalized slavery existed in this country for quite a while. And, you know, eventually a civil war was fought over it. So that's, that's a country that, as great as the things that they wrote down were, uh, we were flawed even from the beginning. So we've, we, you know, we had um, wounds and mistakes made that had to be fixed and corrected and healed. Then um, those wounds take a lot of time, but they also take a lot of healing. And there hasn't really been a lot of healing to try to heal those wounds because uh, a lot of things really would happen is certain... Um, Feelings and attitudes and sort of systematic uh, pressures to subjugate people were allowed to permeate and fester uh, for decades and o over over a century now, where sort of overt systematic racism was allowed to just continue to exist even when certain laws started banning it. There was it was still going on. There's still pe people participating in it. There were still people doing that sort of thing where they were subjugating people or oppressing people for a wide variety of reasons. One of the most common reasons was because that person was this quote unquote minority, you know, had a different skin color. So they, they were being treated differently in an even more negative, oppressive manner. And, uh, you know, the Trumps were you know, some, some of these types of people, yeah, you know, just sort of ruthless characters that sort of, you know, had very negative views of people of different races and cultures and customs and stuff, not very accepting of others, and just sort of ruthless in the making money way, willing to make money any way they could, even if it meant, you know, bankrupting someone else for no good reason, when, when a partnership could have worked just as well. Um, kill or be killed type thing, just sort of and again, those types of characters are a dime a dozen in this country. Donald Trump's just like the most famous one over the last half of the century. Um, there, there was others before him. There was others while he's been doing his thing. There's been other wealthy white assholes that have just been kind of fucking shit up, you know, um, throwing lots of money around, being just kind of dumb shits. But they weren't f maybe not as famous. You know, they, people might might know who they are or something because, you know, they have a lot of money, but they don't maybe seek out the limelight as much. But Donald Trump is the most famous of that sort of stereotype of the wealthy, white, overprivileged, arrogant asshole.
um, is sort of the warping of the American dream because for a lot of people, like if you watch like when I was in the 80s, Lifestyles with Rich and Famous with Rob and Leach, you know, they show these extravagant houses and boats and stuff and Trump was on that uh, probably more than once, but I remember, I remember seeing one of the episodes that he was on. It's just such a weird show, you know? It's just like, especially when you're a kid. When I was a kid, watching something like that, it's like, why do people need such a big, ridiculous boat, you know? I remember the times, like, being in a canoe and a rowboat and stuff as a kid. It's, like, so much fun. I remember all the things, all the times I used to have fun as a kid, and it's like, you don't really need that big massive thing you know it's just like what are you supposed to do with all that shit you know and it, and it's but then you I realize, would realize later that it's just you can get to a certain level of money where it's so just absurd that there's really there's no discretion really needed for spending. You don't really need to even worry about it. You can just go out and buy a boat for, you know, $3.4 million and it's basically nothing. It, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really have any effect on your net worth or, or, or whatnot. Um, you know, you, you can have a trust fund that's set up when you're a child. By the time you're 18, it has several million dollars in it, and it's mostly invested in annuities and such. Um, it starts paying you, let's just say a very modest $300,000 a year starting at age 18. And it's going to go up a little bit after a certain period of time, but it's just going to be a $300,000 a month, or I mean a year allowance starting at 18. Uh, and that's just sort of a living allowance, you know, you can just kind of do whatever with it. Um, but you work as well? well good. You don't really have to, though. You can certainly survive in America for $300,000 a year. That's a dang good income. Most people that earn that kind of money, they're probably working 70, 80 hours a week. You know, they're really getting after it. Um, they're not getting paid by the hour necessarily, but they're probably a salary with bonuses type thing. Or maybe they're a small business owner. But, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good yearly income. But Trump was definitely the type of person who the amount of money that was in his trust fund when he was, you know, starting to work for his father after college would have been several million, a basic investment into some annuities that pays you and you can have it to where it pays you out monthly, say, uh, well, make it like 600,000 a year or something. So say, uh, whatever would it be? Yeah. Well, actually, no, have a, like 25000 a month because <clears throat> that would be, uh, be 300000 a year if I'm doing the math right. Yeah, so $25,000 a month. So, yeah, 300000 a year would be 25000 a month. Uh, no, there's been years where I didn't even earn 25000 in a year. The best thing about that annuity is that 25000 a month is, is just tax-free income. It, that, that's one of the reasons to do an annuity. Annuity payments are going to be taxed in a much different way. 
Uh, and so it's, avoid, it's a way to avoid a lot of the taxes on the principal. Uh, so if you've got several million uh, invested in an annuity, and that Donald Trump would have maybe, who knows, maybe it was 10 or 20 million at the time. If you're only taking out 300,000 a month, it's basically nothing. So you, you could have a, a yearly allowance, an annual allowance of 300,000 a year, 300,000, 25,000 a month. And that would just be your kind of, you know, paying the basic expenses money. You could get a job or not get a job. It wouldn't really matter. The money would never run out. You, you would just always have that. So that's the kind of thing that uh, some people in this country have been able to secure. They have that kind of stuff. And except the amounts are even, you know, obviously bigger, you know. The type of people that are in the wealthiest two percent, they can have an investment that pays them. Say, well, Donald had a had an investment just like this. When one of his companies was going through bankruptcy, uh, he received while it was in bankruptcy, and the company was in bankruptcy because of his extremely poor leadership. He was paid four hundred thousand dollars a month. Yeah, he was able to continue the salary that he created for himself. So there's. You know, the American dream has been sort of like taken hostage and warped and kind of beaten down by this uh, very exclusive group of uh, overprivileged people like Trump. And there's obviously other others like him. And, uh, you know, a lot of them are these senators and representatives with R's next to the name. Although there's plenty of them with D's next in our name, too, that actively support a sort of catering to the whims and desires of the wealthiest. The people that really need, like, kind of the least level of, you know, basic protections. They, they need the least, like, sort of focus on public education. Do the wealthiest 2% need public education? No. Do the wealthiest 2% need Social Security? No. Do the wealthiest 2% give a shit about universal health care? No. All those things they can afford out of pocket, so they have none of those things have any benefit to them. Problem, of course, is that part, the American dream, the idea of is, is, it, is that we have a government in, in which is of the people, by the people, for the people. You know, so in other words, we like people and they represent our interests. The problem is, Money gets in, and that money kind of warps the interests. It kind of allows representatives and senators to represent the interests of a very tiny group of people and to spend vast portions of their time focusing just on those 2% or so of the population. And it's really not even that they're focusing on that entire 2%, just the people within that 2% that have given them money and said, hey... We want you to focus on this. And so the American dream is alive and well and in uh, full abundance for the people that are at the top. And during this coronavirus things, as values are tanking, uh, they're going to make a killing. They're, they're, they're going to do awesome. Yeah, they'll be able to buy up an even bigger ownership stake. Whenever there's a deflating art... Um, Economy, whenever the economy starts sagging, price values go down, the stock market drops or whatever, real estate prices go down. There's people that are 
ready to pounce, and they do. And Donald Trump is those is those types. He's sort of kill or be killed, um, and they gain even greater ownership of the the economy. You know, they you know they the, the reality is is that many in the top own so much. They own they own different sectors and stuff. They own you know they own di different companies that compete against each other even. So I mean it's a they have wide breadth of control and they get a basically a cut of all the profits of all those different entities. We the people uh, get very little and the people that own the economy they also fight very hard to make sure that companies don't have to pay the people a reasonable rate um, and make sure that you know, there aren't any monies taken out of profits to cover the cost of, uh, say, health care or free education and stuff like that, or, or even job training. It seems strange, you know, because, you know, what, it, and that, what is the economy really about? Like when, <clears throat> when wealthy people like Trump are saying, we got to get back to the economy, got to grow the economy, got to get our economy running again. It's like, He's kind of showing his true face. It's like that—that's what it's really about. And, and the economy, to him, a wealthy white overprivileged asshole, you know, the economy is just sort of this uh, so, sort of separate thing that doesn't really have anything to do with the health and well-being of real live people. You know, he, he doesn't really understand that. He doesn't really understand that the United States economy is people. You know, it's people interacting with each other. It's the American citizens and our commercing, commerce with each other, buying and exchanging of goods and services, uh, you know, providing service to others, providing products to others, selling them at a reasonable rate, goods and services exchanging hands, currency exchanging hands on a massive level between a wide variety of different groups throughout all different regions, interstate commerce, intercultural commerce, whatever, you know, uh, international commerce as well, and sort of uh, between people, and that's that's the, the key thing, the, kind of the, the root of it. You know, it's a seed from the kind of classic, um, you know, exchange and barter type system and the beginning of currency back in the Roman Empire type thing. You know, our economy is very much based off of kind of rooted in that that buy and sell transactional type thing. Uh, you know, you, you have a store that sells food. I bring in currency. I spend the money at your store. And I relieve you of some of your inventory that you might have to replace later, but you're going to use the money that you just got from me to buy more inventory and also to have a profit. Now I have food. Okay. Yeah. That, that's the root of it. Where do I have my money from? Why well, do a job? And my job right now is working in agriculture and, you know, um, shoveling and taking care of plants and pruning and pulling weeds and, putting in new uh, sprinkler systems and stuff like that for really f fancy, wealthy people. Now, 
I have a job because in this particular case, because I work for wealthy people, could I have a job that more fits my skill set and desires and stuff and have this be more like a part-time thing? If there was better, you know, education and job skill training in this country, well, of course, that's, that's one thing that's off, you know, like, so pe people work and then from that work they get money and then they spend the money at, at different places the different places they get the money then use that money to replenish their inventory pay their employees pay their expenses and uh, you know maybe some sort of bonus to their thing to their executives or their employees or whatever the owners and then it just kind of keeps circulating around but the whole the whole thing is definitely built on people the economy is people but again, for, for people that have sort of, were just sort of born into this sort of ideal, perfect ideal of the American dream, this sort of insulated, all-white, exclusive, wealthy New York thing that which Donald Trump was born into, you know, there is no need or desire to, to sort of like work, work hard in the classical sense, you know, like the Trump of all people is a big champion of bringing back factory jobs. Clearly and obviously a guy that's never worked in a factory, <laughs> you know, um, that ain't the American dream. Um, the, the, the dream is you do the factory job for a while and then your kids go off to college so they don't have to work in the factory. That that's, that's the factory job, you know, that, that's the American dream. You, you get, you know, <laughs> people earn enough money so that their descendants don't have to work in a factory. And, and so in a certain way, the fact that factories are gone is a sort of improving of the American dream. You don't have to just work in a fucking factory to try to make ends meet. There's other options now. In fact, there's like a plethora of different careers in this country, all different types of ways to earn money. Uh, you definitely don't have to just work in a factory. Um, now, there's in this country, one of the problems, though, with our economy is there's far too much focus on the whims and desires of the wealthy. And there's too much time and focus catering to their interests. Um, there's There can be good money in it, but I think there's just, just be a, a better way to redistribute the income back into the society, back the, the sort of extra beyond excess that a lot of the wealthy are just sort of hoarding, you know, that there's massive amounts of money just being sort of hoarded by a tiny group of people, money that could be used to make sure that every child has a healthy, healthy food to eat every day, every single day, every day, you know, three meals, two snacks type thing every, every single day even weekends and all that, um, that every person that wants an education can get one. Adults too, you know. Uh, would you still have to be accepted to a college? Yeah, but if it's a public university, you, could, you would just go and, and it would be covered, all, all expenses and stuff. How does it benefit our society? Well, you, you have a higher percentage of intelligent, skilled people. What would that equal? Well, I mean... It's wide open, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's certainly an improving of the situation, you know, electing sort of dullards and 
blatantly bad people. It is sort of an, a, a byproduct of lack of education and, and ignorance. I mean, that's really, in the year 2020, people voting Trump uh, in November. It's either, um, you know, ignorance uh, or, or confusion or maybe ignorance. So it's really, it's, it's kind of like not giving a fuck or not wanting to give a fuck or, or maybe not giving a fuck. That, that's kind of, that, that's what it is. It, you know, a person that's proudly proclaiming 2020, you know, mid-July, <laughs> that they're going to vote Trump in November. That's a person that just, they, and what's the root of it? You know, what's the underlying issue there? What's the... You know, the trauma that happened that has sort of set this on them on a path where they still support him. The evidence all is all out there. Is it because they're just, they went too deep? They went too far into it? You know, I don't know. Um, obviously, Mr. Trump is not a good human being. Obviously, he needs some help. He's in no position to be a president. He shouldn't really be in charge of anything. Um the mountain of evidence that clearly and obviously indicates that it sh should have been more than enough for a major supposed political party to just not nominate him. And there's, they have a whole list of rules within their organization. They're kind of a very, you know, kind of almost snooty organization or whatever. So it's like they more than could have had some particular thing that said, well, we, we actually cannot nominate Mr. Trump because of this. So instead we're going to nominate, but, but they, they dominated him. They, they actually did it, you know, it, and, and, it, and it's sort of, I mean, there, there's millions of people, Americans in this country who just are, they, they are loyal to the Republican Party. The, the Ameri their American dream is the things that the Republican Party candidates say during the campaign. The American dream to them is like, you know, never once in your life will you see someone in a bathroom that kind of looks like they might be a different gender than you. Never, ever, ever in your life are you going to ever have to even think about that experience ever. And that's the American dream. And it's like, I don't, I mean, have, have I ever gone to the bathroom when there was like a, a woman in the bathroom? Yeah, one time I was at a rave. There was a girl that she was just kind of sitting on the sink, uh, you know. Just kind of hanging out in the boys' bath, you know, men's bathroom. Has there been other times where, I mean, I, you know, like it's just the bathroom. There's plenty of like unisex bathrooms th throughout the country and shit, you know, like where both genders use it. And it's just the bathroom. It's like, but to some people, it's just anything that's outside of their kind of narrow scope of what it means to be alive is just. It's just too much. It's overwhelming or something. You know, if you grew up in some small dink town in rural Idaho or something and you've lived your whole life there and you've, you know, maybe you go to Spokane, I don't know, once a year or something. And that's like the big city that you go to. But that's like your entire frame of reference is kind of like 
you know, central Idaho or whatever, you know, and that's kind of it. That's a certain perspective, you know, it, it's a kind of limited perspective. But for that matter, it doesn't really matter if it's also a big city. Say you live just your entire life in just one city. It's still going to give you a little bit probably bigger perspective than, say, just that one little tiny town in Idaho. Especially if you've never left that little tiny town in Idaho. But say if you lived your entire life in New York City. If you live your entire life in New York City, you're almost just going to be compelled, driven to at least uh, visit some other place. Mostly because you're going to meet other people that are originally from other places. You know, New York City is full of people who are originally from somewhere else. So, you know, it's a huge, vast community of people, all kinds of people from all over the world, New York City. So just, so there's certain places where if you live your whole life in that one place and you rarely ever leave, there's a varying level of cultural experience that you're going to have. You know, you live your entire life in New York City, never leave the five boroughs ever you're still going to get a pretty rich cultural experience. You're probably going to have a very narrow understanding of like, um, you know, farming and stuff like that, or any sort of rural, which would, you know, you'd probably benefit from. It'd be probably a shock to the systems and stuff. But as far as like different types of people and relating to different types of people and all that, that you're going to get a much more vibrant you know, experience there than you would say the person living in rural Idaho or rural Wyoming or whatever. And again, a person that's like never left ever. Now, that's the weird thing about the American dream. The American dream is not a, a, a sort of narrow specific thing for some people, you know, that, that live in their entire life in some small town in Idaho. That is the American dream. That is like, I mean, I'm, I'm describing heaven to them, you know, you know, and there, there are some pretty parts of Idaho. I love, I visited Boise uh, a few times, and I've been through Coeur d'Alene quite a few times. Worked at a summer camp in Idaho for a little while, too, many, uh, a few, several summers ago. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's a pretty place. Idaho's not really my state. You know, it's it, it's it's one of those states where it's kind of like, hey, Idaho, cool. Right on, you know, it's pretty. It's it, um it's just, I'm I'm a Washingtonian, you know, and I've also, my uh, dad lives in Oregon. So, you know, I've always, the states, are, those are kind of states with like the strongest emotional connection, but I was also born in Florida, uh, you know, family in Texas and California, worked at a summer camp in Pennsylvania. So, you know, I have sort of more like connections to certain states and sort of, you know, the yearning to sort of, visit other parts of the place that was one of my american dream and the ability to move freely but for someone like me um you know i i smoke weed uh, i smoke cannabis um which it's been a goal been a dream of mine that it would you know someday just be legal and they would just legalize and stop putting people in jail for it and washington did that many years ago but many other parts of the country are not that way at all and so i am not welcome there you know, I don't really want to get into the sort of like, um, you know, having to like be discreet about it or having to like just not have it on me because if they some cop finds it on me, then I go to jail and stuff. It's just that state is basically saying I'm not welcome, you know, that and that that's fine, you know, 
whatever. Um, yeah, I prefer to just stay in states where cannabis is legal. It's just easier. And Washington is big. You know, it's a it's a big state. So uh, then we got Oregon, and then uh, so Idaho. It's not legal, but uh, Montana has parts legal too. So that's another big, vast area. And that's kind of the American dream for me. Was like you get a job. You can get a job that's enough to like go out to eat every once in a while, have a nice place to live, travel around, you know, see the country and, um, you know, have fun, you know, send your kids off to college easily and stuff and just be able to easily contribute to your community and stuff. But yeah, not really. And now there's, uh, you know, the town that I, Lived in for little stretches here and always had a connection with Portland, Oregon. Played uh, rugby in Portland for a few years. I lived in Vancouver, Washington, it's just on the other side of the border. Federal agents raided, you know, sort of invaded the city of Portland, Oregon last week and had just sort of been lingering there. Uh, the Oregon government doesn't want them there. The mayor of Portland doesn't want them there. But they just sort of came... Um, not because the city was being, you know, under attack, but because there was people protesting police brutality, which they have every legal right to do. It's one of the amazing things about this country and the American dream is you have the right to protest. You have the right to speak out against the very government that was created to, you know, give you that right. You know, you, you have the right to speak your mind. Um... We have the right to peacefully assemble. We, these are rights, and, and you know they are self-evident. It's, it, but it, it's explicitly said in in our constitution. You know we have the right to everything they were doing is perfectly legal. Uh, now certain people in our society may commit crimes, and that's why you have police to investigate crimes and to prosecute the offenders. Everyone's seen Law and Order before. That's how the show opens. You know. All, all, and like the beginning of the cops, all suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. So, so in other words, you know, you, you have a big, massive group of people peacefully protesting. And then there's another very small group of people, maybe even just in the dozens. You know, you, so you have hundreds of people at a rally, maybe thousands of people all parading, peacefully protesting. And then you have a few dozen people uh, spray painting buildings and causing property damage. So those specific people are committing crimes, you, you know. Yeah, so they're going to try to hide with the crowd and stuff like that. So, you know. To just try to solve those specific crimes. So spray painting a building, though, is, you know, it's a property damage. Um, you'll have to clean it up, you know, or paint over it or whatever. Depends on, I guess, on how much a concern it is to you that there's spray paint on your building, like the word fuck on the police department front door, you know, probably wouldn't look good. But, uh, you know, as upsetting as, like, a spray-painted word of fuck on, uh, you know, the police state, police department's 
you know, headquarters in a certain precinct or whatever. You know, that that action is raw, you know, as maddening as that might be for the cop and stuff. Um, no, no one dies there, you know. So that's that's sort of like a it's, it's property damage. You know, it's probably something that would normally be some kind of misdemeanor. Um, what's that other one? Malicious mischief. You know, I don't know. Writing the word fuck. Spray painting the word fuck at a police station. It's definitely mischievous, you know. Malicious? Well, I mean, you shouldn't do that, you know. But, I, I mean, the action is certainly not something that warrants a sort of lethal or slightly less than lethal response. You know, one one of the Portland protesters was just some young guy in his mid-20s that was shot in the head with a rubber bullet. He got a skull fracture and had to have facial reconstructive surgery. He was an unarmed civilian exercising his right as an American. And these sort of over-militant assholes from who knows where. They're just federal agents, so, but we don't really—they didn't really identify themselves as, as anything specific, and they just sort of arrive and then just start shooting at people, throwing tear gas, and just sort of dispersing the crowd. But no one asked them to be there. Um, it's very much, you know, that fascism—the way that it seems that like Trump and his enablers have tried to gain traction with the fascist ideas to just sort of overtly flirt it out there every once in a while just sort of do something that's blatantly fascist just on a relatively small scale and just see how people react and maybe just do it sporadically enough to sort of overwhelm the senses and just sort of confuse people because mind you while he's sending federal troops to fire on American citizens that are not committing any crimes and are peacefully protest, they are exercising their rights as Americans. Again, the, the group of people that were being fired upon had not committed any crimes. The crimes that are in questions were non-lethal, non-violent crime. So, you know, that, that's the other thing. Even the crimes being committed were not violent crimes. They were unarmed people committing some, you know, sort of shoplifting or property damage type thing. That's not someone that you shoot at. You know, they haven't, they haven't made any action that uh, clearly and obviously indicates violent intent, uh, disruptive intent, you know, mischievousness. Some sort of crime is being committed, yes, but it's a, not a violent crime. Therefore, they shouldn't be responded to violently. They're not shooting at anybody. So why are federal agents shooting at these people? It's not right. It must stop. That's not America. It's certainly not anything remotely close to the American dream. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's getting a little heavy, a little scary, you know, because obviously the coronavirus is still going on, you know. Trump is, we need to, we need to open up the schools. Don't open up the schools. I'm going to keep finding. It's just, it, when certain precautions were taken early in April, May, whatever it was, time's getting all funny now, um, 
there was like a dip in cases, but not a true drop to low enough. But then there were some places that were just too impatient. They got to keep, got to keep the doors open. You know, our government that represents us has spent the last several decades just bending over backwards, spending huge portions of taxpayer money to benefit the wealthy. And and now there's just, there's not really any reserves. There's not really anything in place to help the people who do all the work. <laughs> and so now they're just like, hey, everyone get back to work. Because people like Trump only make money when the value of their company goes up. The value of their company is the value of a lot of different companies intermixed together. It's just sort of the exchanging of ownership stakes in different pieces of paper. There's not a lot of actual doing, you know, very minimal on the doing. It's the, you know, selling off this ownership stake to get an ownership stake in this other thing and then handing over the money to this other one and then getting cash for something and then spending that on a boat or something, but then only having a part of ownership of the boat and maybe it's just something you're leasing. It's a lot of like layers and layers of paperwork altogether signifying absolutely like nothing. Like the guy doesn't do anything. He's just this, you know, I think that's what's going to be scary too is eventually, because all that's known about, you know, Trump and this sort of like hijacking of the American dream that's been taking place over the last few years, the stuff that's known now that's fully available to the public is pretty alarming. You know, like why, what happened here? Why was this guy picked by a major party? Why was he confirmed? In, you know, why did they uh, invite him to the Republican, you know, primary? Why, why was he even invited? Why didn't the organization say, so sorry, you don't reflect our principles. You have an R next to your name now. That's really neat. But you don't represent us. You're, you're not a member. You know, um, I guess partly the thing is like, you know, I'm a, I'm a Sigma Nu, I'm a member of a fraternity member for life. So there's like a certain, like, you know, I, I went through a candidacy process and then had to sort of get through things. I had to get it, achieve a certain GPA, had to, you know, we had to put on a fundraiser, a philanthropic event, a rush event, all within one quarter, all while still taking a full load of classes. Um, and if you didn't get through all the things, then you didn't, you know, you didn't get accepted or, or, or initiated, become an official member. You know, the political parties are different. Um, you know, all you need to do to be a Republican is just register as a Republican. And then when you go on TV to do interviews, it'll have an R next to your name. And that's it. You know, that's what the, you know, I think... It's like the American dream has just been simplified over the years more and more. Instead of being allowed to breathe a little into sort of expanding upon it, you know, a place where having the American dream where people can, you know, work hard and make a good living, where they can send their kids to good schools, people can have good food to eat, um, you know, good music to listen to and stuff, and good places to go that are serene and well taken care of, like are not developed. Places that are purely natural. 
when they travel the cities and the roads and railways and all that, they're they're safe and protected and well maintained. You know, all the roads and railways and bridges and the power electric grid and all that stuff. The electric grid itself that the that all the people use to power the various things and stuff is the most efficient for that time and age, you know? So for humans, 2020, it, it certainly is not coal. That's not the most efficient way, you know? That was back in the 1890s and stuff, you know? But it's 2020, We've, we, we came up with, kind of learned about other ways to power things long ago that are probably a little bit less destructive than burning coal. So we, we need to, we should, we should do that. You know, that, that's not, the, 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 I don't, it's amazing though, how like wealthy coal barons and stuff are able to convince regular people to, to fight for the interest of coal. You know, it's like, if you turn your light switch on and the power and the light bulb turns on or, you know, uh, whatever you plug your thing in and it works then it works you know if the thing that had to be if the power generated was something that was far more efficient generated far less waste you know if the specific thing that you got plugged in to light turn on a light or whatever is more efficient well, well why not you know why not be more efficient why would you want to be wasteful? That seems silly, you know? So, yeah, as a country, we should <laughs> be moving toward a more efficient energy grid. Uh, the people that control coal, well, they'll be owning a product that is, uh, you know, less going to eventually be just less in demand. There'll still be some demand for coal, I'm sure. But, yeah, over time... That'll fade. And then the people that are in the coal industry will transition to other things. They, If you're a coal miner, you're a hardworking person. So there's other things that you'll be able to do. Uh, one of the reasons you are going to be making more money as a coal miner, though, is, is because you're basically slowly killing yourself every time you go into the coal mines and breathing coal dust for eight hours a day. It's, you know, it's not good for you. It's not healthy. Then when it's burned, it still goes into your lungs. So there's plenty of people that die from black lung and it's pure nastiness. So yeah, stuff that kind of helps out people that get into dire streets. You know, um, I think the American dream is definitely still opportunity and the rewarding of uh, hard work and drive and determination and all that. But also like a sort of... Uh, Re proper redistribution of things, you know, people that get too much, it's just kind of, it, it, you know, the idle hand becomes a little less idle and kind of picks up that sort of extra fluff off the top and just kind of, kind of sprinkles it outward. So it kind of, you know, that, that kind of excess on the top i mean there's people in this country who are billionaires american dream is thriving for them they have billions a thousand millions that's an absurd just stupid amount of money why does any single human being 
have a net worth of a billion dollars. It does not make any sense. It, it, it's stupid. There should have been some sort of way for that just not to be. You know, if, if other countries in the industrialized, industrialized world want to allow billionaires to be, that's their choice. Our country can just say no. And yes, that, that you can just make a law that says once you get up to a net worth of X, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, some stupid amount that's way more than anyone would ever spend in a lifetime. Once you get over that, any amount over that is going to get taxed a whole bunch. Yeah, so it's sort of an encouraging you to once you get to that stupendous level, Maybe not focus so much on just getting more money. <laughs> you know, you, you need to shift your priorities. You know, if, um, you, yeah, you got to spread the wealth around a little bit. You know, if you, you got $500 million, and let's say that's not even your total net worth, that's just the amount you have in liquid assets, just, just chill out. You know, you're, you're doing good. You're doing fine. You made it, you know. That drive for more stuff. It's just more stuff. You, you know, there, there's other things that are going to be more fulfilling to do with your money besides just buying another boat. And I know that initial excitement of getting that new thing. It's so, oh, look at this car, how fast it goes, this boat. Ooh. You know, it kind of wears off eventually. You know, and I, I've, I've seen, I, I have seen sort of. You know, kind of eh, indifferent kind of people who own big, big boats, you know, or have real fancy cars and they're still kind of like, you know, mm, they still get kind of down at times and stuff, you know, that big fancy thing ain't going to solve all your problems. You know, you want a few fancy things here and there it's just to show off like, look, I, I'm successful. Look at this nice thing I have. Hey, good for you, dude. You know, we're all happy for you. All that extra money you got, you got all this stuff here. It's all paid for outright. You know, you live in a big fancy house, you have several cars, and all the sort of monthly maintenance and stuff like that, it's all paid for. And then you got a, a food allowance of, say, 30000 a month. And everything else is all paid for. You know, the amounts above and beyond that, yeah, start start redistributing it back into society and not really worrying it if you get a specific rate of return back. I mean, I guess that's my more American dream is just the society that views itself more as a society, a United States of America, the most diverse country in the history of human civilization. And so a society that's actually working toward that being our best, improving the way that we design cities and lay out things and sort of doing things in a more in-tune way with nature and the natural order of things. So, definitely a dream, because, you know, well, I think that'll do it. Stay safe, practice social distancing, wear your mask in public. And we'll get through this. This is Gary. You're listening to Thinking Out Loud.